Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show, brought to you by Indeed, Bet Online, and Pepsi. It's Tuesday, and we have a special guest on today's show, Dan Graziano, one of the national writers and one of ESPN's many very, very good NFL reporters, joins us to talk about where the Lions stand in the general manager search, where they stand in the head coaching search, how attractive this job is, and a bunch about Matthew Stafford and his future. We're going to get to all of that right after the break. But before we get there, obviously a little bit to talk about with Matthew Stafford. The good news, Daryl Bevel says Matthew Stafford's x-rays were negative, so it sounds like at least as of now they haven't found any breaks or fractures in Matthew Stafford's ribs. That's the good news for Matthew Stafford and for the Lions. The not as good news is that he's still in pain. Less pain, Daryl Bevel said, than a day ago, but still in pain. And there's no guarantee he's going to play this week. This is going to be something that they're clearly going to monitor all week. I expect you'll see a lot of Chase Daniel reps, a lot of David Blau reps in practice. And that's just going to be what we're going to be looking at. And it feels like the end of so many seasons here in Detroit over the last few years where Matthew Stafford has some sort of injury that's being monitored. Remember in 2016, it was his finger. In last season, it was not necessarily whether or not Matthew Stafford was going to play, but whether or not Matthew Stafford was going to end up on IR with his back injury. In 2018, there was a back injury. So this is kind of, I don't want to say well-worn territory. Even in 2017, if you remember, He hurt his hand as well against Baltimore, and he ended up playing, and that wasn't as serious. But every year, it seems like at this point in the season, there is some sort of injury to monitor with Matthew Stafford. Now, he's incredibly tough. He plays through almost all of this, except obviously last season. But at some point, you have to make sure that you're doing right by the player as much as you're doing right by the franchise. And I think Daryl Bevel is really going to take that into consideration. He said he spoke with him multiple times between Sunday night and Monday. And he didn't necessarily care about anything with regards to the game. He just cares more about Matthew Stafford's health. And the Lions should also do that for multiple reasons. Because the last thing you want to do is put him back out there when he's not healthy and he gets seriously injured. Which would be awful for Matthew Stafford and for his family, and also for the franchise, if you're looking at it from that perspective. 
Like that, no one wants to see that. Matthew Stafford has been a great player for the Lions for over a decade. He's the best quarterback in team history. And I will argue you on that if you come at me with Bobby Lane. Matthew Stafford's better than Bobby Lane, especially with what he's been asked to do versus what Bobby Lane was asked to do and the talent around him and the team around him. Like Matthew Stafford, in my opinion, was just better. And the Lions need to be smart with him, whether he is in the plans for 2021 or not, or long-term or not. We don't know at this point because until there's a new general manager and a new head coach, in place that's just an unknown but you want to make sure that you're doing right by a guy who has done right by the organization for so long and I asked Daryl Bevel actually like do you have to in some ways just maybe keep Stafford from himself a little bit because he's a guy who really wants to play and always wants to play. And he said, listen, they're going to go based off of what doctors say. Stafford's going to have a say in it, but they're going to really look at what he can do and what he can't do throughout the week. And I think this is going to be different than when Stafford was in COVID protocol due to the close contact and didn't practice because you knew he was healthy. It was just a matter of as long as the tests came back. This is a different situation. So to me, I think you're looking at a situation where you need to see Stafford practice at least once this week. You need to see him be able to really move around and do stuff, especially against a pretty good Tennessee team, in order to put him out there. That's just me and how I would handle it. A couple of other little nuggets there. Jeff Okuda, his season is over. He's having groin surgery tomorrow. He's going on IR. Rough first season for Jeff Okuda. Daryl Bevel says he believes there's a bright future there. I have long said that as well because corner is a very difficult position to transition to from college from the NFL. And we've always seen that. And I think that the fact that he was picked number three, people thought more would come faster, but that was probably never truly in the cards. And, you know, from a win now perspective, that's a bad miscalculation by Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia as well. Because even though everyone thought he was ready, missing that spring and missing that training camp and then him dealing with an injury, which that you can't necessarily predict, were things that you just should have known if you were taking a win-now player. And in that case, maybe they should have taken Derek Brown. Because I I would not have argued for the quarterback in a win-now scenario either. Now, how it all played out, should maybe the Lions have gone with two or Justin Herbert? Yeah, maybe. But you you couldn't have necessarily done that with the staff that was in place in that win-now edict. They tried the best they could with Okuda. That ended up on the short-term backfiring, although I still think he could end up being a really, really, really high-level corner in the NFL. I'm curious to see how he comes back next season, especially since based off of David Burkett's reporting, the groin issue has been something that's lingered for a while, so who knows how much even bothered him really at the start of this year. And that'll be something to watch more for 2021 and for the new regime and new staff because Jeff Okuda is going to be one of the people that you're still trying to build around and one of the people who's definitely back next season. One last nugget, and a couple of different people are reporting this, so this comes from multiple places. Uh, I have not gotten it confirmed, but it seems like it's coming from enough spots. Rick Smith will interview at some point for the Lions general manager job. He will be at least the fourth 
for sure known interview along with the three internal candidates, Rob Lohman, Lance Newmark, and Kyle O'Brien. Rick Smith is a guy who was GM in Houston for a long time. We'll get more into him on Thursday uh, when we kind of maybe do a weekly look at kind of where the coaching and GM searches stand. Also, and Dave Burkett reported this as well. He's had a good week reporting that Sheila Ford Hamp wrote an internal letter to people within the organization, basically laying out what she was thinking and, you know, that she wants a experienced head coach general manager duo and that this could take up to six weeks to figure out. None of this should come as a surprise and that they're going to vet fully. All of these things are things that basically were known. I would be curious to know what she means by the experienced head coach general manager situation, whether that means that she wants at least one person who's been in that role before, whether she just wants maybe at least one person who has a whole bunch of years in the league. Like both of those things are really interesting. And as far as the head coach situation, when it comes to the retread, I want to get into that a little bit on Thursday as well. So a whole bunch of stuff with that to get forward to down the road this week. But before we get there, we get the opinion of Dan Graziano, who says a lot of great stuff, has a lot of really good insights right on the other side of the break here at the Michael Rothstein Show. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over, much to the happiness of probably everybody. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. That's right, no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new New way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates who resume, whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Faster than even Matt Prater's 59-yard field goal went through the uprights. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment, or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are one of them. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how much you watch. And let's be honest, if you're watching the Lions right now, you probably need something to get you through what you've been seeing on the field. 
And Pepsi is that refreshment you need to power through any game day, even Lions games. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. My next guest on the show is a longtime friend of mine. He is one of our national reporters. You see him on TV all the time on NFL Live and on Get Up. Dan Graziano, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Oh, you know, doing all right for it being winter and another lost season for the Detroit Lions, which is yeah. almost every season. That, 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 I was just looking at Carolina-Houston stretch. That was, the, that was the killer, right? Because otherwise what? They're, they're right in it. I mean, you're 7-6 and six and right in it in the NFC, but can't lose games like that and expect to make it. No, I mean, and even really before that Washington game, even though they won that game, they blew yeah. it. They blew it twenty-one point. Like, what are you? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's not not the way to not the way to make the playoffs. That's for sure. No, not the way to save your jobs, as I think Matt Patricia no. and Bob Quinn learned. Right. Yeah, the Texans lost, especially directly uh, consequential. Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt, especially two losses in five days like that. Mm-hmm. Not good. Not good at all. So because of that. There is going to be a new coach, more than likely, and new general manager, pretty much definitely, in Detroit. Where do you, you have your finger on the national pulse of all of this? Where do you think they should go? Where should they be looking? Well, I mean, there, there are going to be a lot of questions around that team, right? I mean, there, there's there's a legitimate chance that there's a quarterback question there, right? I, I don't know for sure, but the contract, and obviously he's. He's injured again. Like you wonder if they make a change, how big the changes get. Right. And that could, I think that could drive a lot of the decision-making because, you know, sometimes when you have, like if, if, for example, they decide they're going to try and start with a young quarterback, start over, that might affect what they want in terms of a head coach. So that's an organizational decision. I I just, I don't know what their process is going to be like. Are they going to want to hire a GM first and have that guy make all of these decisions or do you hire the coach first, like some teams have? You've seen it in San Francisco and Buffalo, you know, places like that with some success. Pair the GM up with them and then, uh, and then have, you know, that sort of sharing of powers and decision-making. So uh, I think, you know, people want to say, do they need offense? They need defense. I think it's about, I think it's about finding the right kind of leader, right? Like, like if you, you know, if you look at what Brian Flores has done in a short time in, Miami, right? It doesn't matter that he's not an offensive guy. He, he's a he's a coach that knows how to set the tone in the building. You know, I think I think uh, yesterday, notwithstanding, you know, Joe Judge's first year in New York has shown that you don't necessarily need to be an expert on one side of the ball to have head coach kind of qualities. So I just think that you've got to find the right kind of person to 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 lead your team. And I think I think you can get that in it. You can get a sense of that in an interview. Obviously, you have to call around. You got to get your recommendations, but you've got to be, if the, if the guy doesn't inspire you in the interview, the odds are pretty good. that He's not going to inspire the players when he needs to. So I, I think that's a good starting point. It's a non-specific answer. I mean, I could give you the list of names, obviously everybody knows the names that are out there, but you know, the, I guess the Michigan legislature wants it to be uh, Robert Sala, right? So very much so they want that have in the ultimate decision. But you know, if they get a guy like that, the second question is of course, well, you know, in this day and age, who's going to come run the offense? And, um, you know, yeah. So I, I think I've always said if I was hiring a coach, I'd interview everybody because I, I hopefully won't be doing it again for, for 10 years. <laughs> so I want to get to know as many of these guys as possible. But, 
yeah, that, that's the trick for them is find the right kind of leader, overarching leader, vision and ability to implement. What, how is this team viewed around the league when it comes to attractiveness of this job? But, I mean, and those are two really separate questions and maybe three separate questions if you want to throw the Stafford piece in that right. in general manager, head coach, and then quarterback. Like how, because I feel like they're probably viewed differently, A, by different people, but also different roles viewed differently. When I, I used to, I remember a long time ago when I was talking to Mike Shanahan and he said I, when he gets, when he's considering a job, a head coach job, the first two questions he asks are who's the owner and who's the quarterback? Not necessarily in that order, but he wants those answers to be satisfactory. So uh, ownership there is obviously, I guess, a little bit of a wild card, right? Because because she's new to, to running the team, right? So that's not that there's any kind of, I don't think there's probably any kind of um, conclusions anybody can draw either way right now, right? Because, you know, obviously, you know, the family and you know all that and how they've operated. But, you know, you have you have a new face there and, and somebody who's calling the shots that doesn't have a lot of track record. So uh, if you're a head coach candidate, a general manager candidate, that first meeting, that that early interaction is going to be very important. What kind of sense do you get uh, from her about how the operation is going to run, et cetera? So that's a big part of it. And then, yeah, the quarterback situation. I mean, look, a couple of years ago, Matt Patricia goes there. One of the appealing things to him was Stafford, right? Like he was, like he was in the mix for the Giants job at that point but he knew that they were going to be transitioning out of Eli Manning and into whatever. And uh, he didn't feel like, like that was something he wanted to be a part of, whereas Stafford offered some sort of stability. We don't know if Stafford's going to be there and if he is for how much longer. So, you know, those are, those are two questions that are kind of hard to answer right now for candidates. So in order to say, you know, is it a good job? Is it a bad job, et cetera? I think there's some unknowns there. Obviously the problem is it, you know, and it's been a long time. I'm not breaking any news. It's been a long time since they won, right? It hasn't been a successful franchise. And, and, um, and obviously you, you like to join successful franchises, but I remember talking to Kevin Stefanski last year and he said, look, the Cleveland Browns job, like I would love to be the guy that goes there and turns that around, you know? So there's some appeal to that too, uh, as somebody who can help rescue a franchise that hasn't had much success. So uh, how's, how's it viewed? I think it's viewed you know, skeptically, but I think because there are so many uncertainties in such critical positions. You mentioned the Giants job from a couple of years ago that obviously Matt Patricia ended up going to Detroit. In some ways, does this job, considering the uncertainty around Matthew Stafford and everything that's going to happen, almost feel like that Giants job a couple of years ago? Is that a potential comparison point? I can see the similarities, but I think, and this is no offense to Stafford, uh, the the um, the exit from Eli Manning was probably a little more emotional for the organization and the fan base because of the Super Bowls they won, right? Like, like if you if you have somebody you've been a fan of teams, obviously you know somebody wins a championship, you feel an attachment to them that's stronger than I mean, well, I mean I'm sure the other Lions fans that feel an attachment to Stafford, but a little bit I think different. So similar in that it, it's a it's a similar kind of challenge, right? If you've had the same thing for a decade and you've been able to rely on it, and Stafford's been incredibly reliable, um, what do you transition into? I mean, look at Daniel Jones. They're, they're, they're excited about Daniel Jones in New York, but in his first two years, he's already missed three, four games. Eli Manning missed no games ever. <laughs> so it shows you, like, you're coming off of – and I think Detroit's going to be dealing with that too. Somebody, obviously, early in his career, 
he had health issues and now the last couple of years, but for the most part, this has been a reliable answer the bell quarterback week in, week out. And the value in that is tremendous. And it's one of those things that you don't really know what you have till it's gone. So got to get the next one right. And, you know, that's, that's a tough trick. You, we've talked a little bit about Stafford. Do you get the sense that if either the Lions wanted to move on from Stafford or if Stafford just was like, I, I need to get out of here, like it's just not working, do you get the sense that there would be a large market for him for a trade? Or do you think teams would kind of try, try and just wait the Lions out for a year? No, I think he's tradable because um, the contract is, is very, I think, uh, friendly to a team that would be um, – acquiring him right I'm, I'm trying to see the numbers yeah, off the it's top of my head. yeah the acquiring team would not take on if you believe he's he's healthy and you believe he's going to be productive at the age of what 32 33 yeah you know yes i mean i would i i could see paying him 19 and a half 20 million dollars next year whatever it is that that's a pretty good rate for a good starting quarterback and then the year after it's not even that much higher than that so yeah i, I think I think he would be interest, an interesting guy in a trade if, you know, I, I don't know the minds of the people in charge, but if, you know, if Bill Belichick is looking, right, or if, um, you know, if, if hypothetically, and I don't think this will happen, if hypothetically the Cowboys couldn't sign Dak Prescott, right, maybe that's, an, that's a, a, someplace they look, you know, bring the Texas guy. So, yeah, I think, I, I think he would be a guy that they could get some interest in, assuming he comes out of this year healthy. When you look at a guy like Stafford, like one of the knocks in Detroit or one of the things that comes up in Detroit is that they've gone through now through two general managers with him. This will be number three. If you, if you don't include interim general manager, Sheldon White, like they've gone through three head coaches. Now this will be number four dudes, a coach and a general manager. Look at that when it comes to the quarterback of saying, this guy has been around for a long time. He's kind of the constant and he plays just well enough for it to be a tease. Like, is there something to that too, where a coach or GM might look at that and say, yeah, I'll come, but I don't necessarily want, like this guy worries me more than, than not because of prior regimes. Good enough to get me fired. Right. Basically, I, I don't know. Is Stafford that guy? I mean, you've seen him up close a lot more than I have. It, it doesn't seem like looking at it from the outside that Stafford is that kind of guy. I've always felt like he was sort of the least of their problems, right? So, so yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I think he's pretty well regarded. Obviously, I mean, there's, there's like half a dozen guys that are everything you want, right, in a quarterback. You know, there's, there's Brady, there's Russell Wilson, there's Deshaun Watson, there's Mahomes, obviously. I mean, but you get beyond that first level of, like I said, like maybe five, six, seven guys – and Stafford is part of the mix of like, hey, I can, I can win with this guy. He might not be perfect. He might not be the quarterback of my dreams. But since there are only six or seven of those guys walking the earth and I can't get any of them, you know, this, I, it, I could be doing a whole lot worse than a guy who produces like that. But am I reading it wrong? Or are there internal reasons that you know of that, that you know, that make him more of a, uh, you know, more, more of a wild card than I think he is? No, I think you're reading it right, and I felt like that as well. I just know that I hear that a lot from yeah. people who are not, you know, inside the organization and who are not, you know, who are kind of fans of the organization who are just frustrated, I think, when yeah. you see, you know, they look for constants. I mean, there is a large, there is a portion of the fan base that wants the Fords to sell the team because they think that that's going to be the big game changer and that that's the problem. 
Right. So you look at all that. So I was just wondering more nationally, maybe what the thought, what the thought was when you were looking at it, which is a perspective that I can't really provide. He's got the, you know, he's got the whole, he was the number one pick and he hasn't won. So, I mean, is that his fault? Not exclusively, certainly. Right. But when you are that kind of pick, when you do come in with that kind of expectation and you don't win championships, that's a, you know, that's a mark against you, right? I mean, Philip Rivers, this is a Hall of Fame quarterback, but hasn't been able to, to get that Super Bowl and win it. So that's something, yes, people look at and go, well, is there something with him that prevents that? I think often the answer is no, it goes beyond that. But um, yeah, I, I, don't, I think there are plenty of teams out there that would look around and go, yeah, that, I, would, I would trade you my quarterback situation for, for Detroit. No, I, and I'm in agreement there, and I've said that often. You mentioned when back at the top of this that, you know, there are two things that Mike Shannon would ask, the quarterback and the owner. Like you said, yeah. Sheila Fordham is the owner, and there is a wild card there because we don't know a lot about her. From what you're hearing, what is the sense that people feel like? Do they feel like they can go in and trust? Because with her mom and her dad, one of the things that was positive was that they would give you all the time in the world to right. execute your vision that would eventually fail. Like, is the sense the same there? Or does that maybe become a tick against the Lions because that is no longer something that we truly know? Right. It's an unknown, right? But, I mean, look, most of the available jobs, this is every year, have, have warts associated, right? <laughs> like, this is, I mean, the job wouldn't be open if it was a perfect job. Because, I mean, a lot of times it's, it's teams that are struggling for various reasons. So you look at what's open right now. I mean, you look at Atlanta. Obviously, you can trust ownership there. You, you know who the quarterback is there. Uh, they don't have any cap room, and they're going to have to probably jettison some really good players in order to, to make the cap, you know, and, and you look at uh, Houston. Ownership there, it's the same family, but it's not the same owner. Um, you know, Bob McNair passed away. It's his son running the team, but it's also this guy, Jack Easterby, that comes from New England and, and has a lot of power there now. So what's the dynamic there? You know, I remember when, I mean, it happened a couple times the last few years, the Giants job comes open, people want to know. I mean, yes, the, the Mara family, the Tisch family have a good reputation, a st solid, stable ownership, but there's stuff that goes along with that. A lot of members of the Mara and Tisch families are in positions of prominence in the front office, right? And, and how does the power dynamic work there? And sometimes GM candidates and coach candidates want some questions answered about that. I think in this case with Detroit, uh, it's going to be something, you know, that potential candidates want to get their questions answered about. What kind of, of owner is she going to be? Uh, and, uh, and again, you're, you're kind of taking a leap there because you, you can't know, you don't have any real history to base it on other than, as you mentioned, uh, previous generations of the same family. What? I mean, I know we talked about it a little bit and I kind of asked at the top, where do you think that this GM job and this head coaching job would rank? I mean, again, a bunch of different factors depending on the candidates, but that's what people want to know is where, where is it on the attractiveness scale for them? So, I mean, you know, you, you, you think about the jobs that are open, you know, Houston, they have the quarterback, right? They don't have any picks. O'Brien traded all the picks, and uh, it's going to be a tough, tough build around the quarterback with their draft situation. So that's, that's the pro and the con there. Uh, Jets situation, assuming that comes open, you're going to have the number one pick most likely. All right, well, you can make, you make that work, right? If you like the quarterback, uh, probably the guy from Clemson, obviously. Um, but 
ownership there, you know, maybe that's not the, the most solid history, you know, and now you got Woody Johnson coming back from London where he's been for four years. So things are going to change in terms of how that's run. Um, so, you know, I think when you talk about ranks, I'm looking at, you know, six to eight jobs coming open. I don't know that it goes to the back of the line, but it, 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 it's probably not as appealing as say, oh, I have the number one pick or, oh, I have Deshaun Watson, right? I mean, whatever, whatever the quarterback situation is, even if it's uh, mid-30s Matthew Stafford, it's not going to be as exciting as, as that. So um, what else is coming open? Top of my head, maybe Chicago. They got a quarterback mess. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think middle of the pack to the, to the back in terms, of the, um, in terms of the jobs that look like they're going to come open or already are. Do, how much does cap room – I mean, you talked a little bit about draft picks with Houston. Obviously, that's a pretty, I think, extreme scenario. But it is. how much does maybe cap room and the ability to kind of work that come into play? Or does that only matter if you feel like you're maybe close? Oh, no, it matters because especially now, like you look at a, a serious reduction in the cap next year. So if you're talking about how quickly, well, for, if you're talking about how close are we, number one, and how quickly can we get there, number two, you know, the cap room is a factor. And, you know, Detroit's, you know, in a situation where they need, they need help at some key positions, obviously, uh, and they might have some tough decisions to make. But yeah, if you have the cap room to play with, then it goes hand in hand, I think, with the draft pick. What, what are the tools, what are the resources at my disposal to build what I want to build? And so if, the, I mean, if you're going to Atlanta and you think the first part of the rebuild is a teardown because I got I to gotta move some contracts to get under the cap, that, that's tough, right? Whereas if you go to a place like, for instance, the Jets, where there's nothing but cap room and nothing but picks, like I have carte blanche to build this thing the way I want to. And I have all the tools at my disposal. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a factor. There's no question about it. And yet then like you look at a place like Detroit, which I mean, when in this entire conversation, the thing that keeps coming to me is Detroit feels like they're in the middle in yeah, everything. I think you're right. It, like, it's yeah. It's just that kind of team. Like it's like, you know, they have, they're never the worst team in the league. Right. <laughs> but they're also not really, you know, usually a playoff team. So they're just kind of sitting there waiting to go one way or the other and never really doing it. So I think in, the, in this conversation, in terms of you know, hiring a new coach, hiring a new GM, where are they in terms of the quarterback situation? Where are they in terms of cap room? Where are they in terms of draft picks? I mean, I think their draft pick situation is pretty standard and unremarkable, right? <laughs> like that's, that's kind of what we're doing. So so if, if I'm going to go coach the Detroit Lions or be the GM of the Detroit Lions, my goal is I want to break out of that. I want to make the Lions uh, important, right? <laughs> like I want to make them a relevant team in the league. And, and I think that's, that's probably how people will perceive it because right now they've just kind of been sort of muddling along for a while. Is that not fair? I mean, I don't want to – people are going to be upset. But, I mean, that's, that seems kind of a fair assessment. No, that, I mean, I've been saying I, – I, if you've listened to this podcast, I've been saying that for, yeah. you know, a year. When you look at this, we've talked about it a little bit, and you mentioned it with Cleveland with Kevin Stefanski. What would it be like – and maybe this is a better question for local in my case, but if they brought someone in that actually did it, that actually made them – they didn't even win a Super Bowl, but won a division title at this point. The bar is mm -hmm. low here in Detroit – how would that be viewed? Would that be viewed around the league as like, holy crap, like someone did it? Like, should that person be automatically put in the Hall of Fame? Like, <laughs> I don't know if it's as, 
as, as remarkable as like, you know, Stefanski's won nine games with the Browns with four games to go, right? Like that's a, <laughs> that's a pretty, I mean, considering this, this iteration of the Browns, it's been around what, 20, 21 years has only done that twice or three times before. I mean, you know, but yeah, I think if you, if you can make, here's the, here's the comparison, Buffalo, right? If you can do what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have done in Buffalo, remember Buffalo didn't make the playoffs for 17 years. Now they're about to be in it three out of the last four. Like that's, that to me is the, is the goal, right? Like do, that would be my model. Let, let me, let me build the way they built it and, and be that because now I think you're seeing Buffalo, you know, national game this past weekend in prime time against Pittsburgh really handled look like a, like a top tier team, in the NFL. And I think at this point, people are beginning to perceive the Buffalo Bills that way, which is a significant change from when it were three, four years ago. So to me, that would be the, that would be the parallel I'd want to draw if I were looking at what am I going to do with this Detroit Lions team if I'm suddenly in charge. So should they just go hire Brian Gain and Brian Dable and call it a day? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right, just pick pluck from there. I mean, you, you do see that happen, right? I mean, that's the whole, um, you know, the, uh, Bob Lamont, who's the big uh, agent for coaches for years and years and years, he, he calls it winner-winner, right? You, you want the that, – that's, that's what people look for. You, you look for the winning organizations, and you sort of try and pluck from them and kind of get a little bit of, of uh, what they're doing. Now, did Buffalo do that? Like, they got guys from Carolina. Carolina was okay but they weren't, you know, the Patriots, they weren't what the Chiefs are. Like, you got to find, you got to find the people that you think are going to be the ones that, that energize it. it. It's, it's tough. I mean, it's just, that's why we see six, seven, eight of these jobs come open every year is because it's a very difficult thing to do to find what you need. I think Buffalo has found it. And I do think that that model's interesting because McDermott goes in there, right? And there's already a GM in place. And then a couple months later, that GM is no longer in place. And the guy, the new guy that comes in is a guy that happens to know Sean from Carolina and they work very, very well together and they have a shared understanding of what their priorities are, what the cap situation is, et cetera, et cetera. And they're working together. And I think that's, you've got to find that kind of team. I don't know that the right thing is to, we'll hire a GM and then he will hire his coach. And it like, I, I think you've got to look at it in a little bit of a more uh, sort of holistic way. And um, you see a, a lot of, a number of teams having success like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the Lions probably too might have some sticker shock slash, you know, bad dreams if they went right from one organization to another, considering the Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia attempt yeah. with the Patriots. So like they just did that. <laughs> right. So again, it's like, I don't know, man. It's like, look at, were Dolphins fans excited about Brian Flores two years ago? I don't think, no, I don't think they probably were. Are they now? Yes. When Joe Judge was hired last year, did Giants fans go, who the heck is Joe Judge? Yes. But are they happy with the job he's done so far? Yeah, I know what their record is. But, I mean, look, they're in, they're in the mix for a division title, which, which matters. It has been a while. So, um, yeah, th those were kind of outside-the-box hires. And I know they both came from New England. That's not really my point. My point is, like, for, you know, those were not guys you looked at going into that coaching cycle and thought, well, these are going to be top candidates. So, but they, they resonated with the, the people doing the hiring inspired you know what talking to giants ownership after the judge hire said he, he just blew him away in the interview like they couldn't they walked out of the interview he said uh, john mara told me his best coach interview i've ever had so like they were they were fired up about the guy and, and that's not maybe not 
fair to judge it off of one, you know, whole day interview. But if the guy stirs something in me, then it seems like the kind of guy that might be able to stir something in, in players. So I, I think it's, it, it's an imperfect science, but it's something that you have to, I don't know, you got, you got to feel and, and ultimately take a leap and hope you're right. One last thing I want to get to before we get you out of here. You did cover the Giants when Jerry Reese was around. I did. And he's a guy that his name, among many others, is being floated as a guy that at least the Lions might interview. What does Jerry Reese do well as a GM? Where are the warts potentially for Jerry Reese yeah. as a GM that the Lions should know, that Lion, the Lions and Lions fans should know about? Jerry's background is as a scout. And he was a good scout, and he he relies on his scouts. He used to tell us about the draft that it was the Super Bowl for, for the scouts. And um, you know, Jerry didn't draft very well, honestly. Like, like his, his whether it was a, it was a ten plus year track record of of um, failing to get productive players in the draft. Now he's been out a couple of years. Has he studied what he did right, what he did wrong, uh, what he can learn from? Uh, etc. Would he rely as much on the scouts or would he be a more nimble drafter? You know, I mean, he was the GM for, I think, 11 years and never once in any round of the draft traded down like that. <laughs> to me, it's like it's unconscionable. <laughs> it's like you, that's the only way to maximize value is to get more picks. But he would sit and he would he would take who the scouts had told him was the best guy on the board or he'd move up. You know, Landon Collins is there at the top of the second round that year. Let's trade up and get him. So I would think if you're looking at Jerry, you have somebody who's obviously competent to do the job, who's obviously respected, who's obviously had success in the role. But I would want to know what I would ask. I would want to ask him what he's learned about the draft uh, that he would do differently this time, because there's just no getting around how poor his record was at that particular thing. And if he isn't the guy to run your draft, then who is he going to bring in? to do it um and then why wouldn't that guy be the gm so uh, <laughs> i think I, it's an interesting idea but i would it's been a while since we've heard from jerry i know i i, I believe he wants back in um but um I, I would i would have some questions about why why those drafts didn't produce more real quality nfl players I'm trying to remember this because I feel like we talked about it at some point. Was it linebackers that he basically refused to draft in the first round? There was one position that he, he was like, no. <laughs> well, this gets into the whole, like, this is the Giants have run the same way forever. The Giants haven't, the last linebacker the Giants drafted in the first round was Carl Banks. So, I mean, it's 1982, 83. So, that's just an organizational philosophy of how players are prioritized and not. Like, yeah, you know, off-ball linebacker is not something you want to spend a first-round pick on. I mean, fine. I mean, you know, the Bears are happy with Roquan Smith. I mean, you know, so you do see it from time to time. But, now I, I think with Jerry, you know, he drafted a linebacker. I'm sorry, a running back in the first round the year after they won the Super Bowl. It was David Wilson. Um, but he didn't pan out. You know, he got hurt. He had to retire early. Um, so it was with Jerry, it was, it was, it was quarterback. Well, it wasn't quarterback. That was before him, but it was, it was a uh, pass rusher, offensive lineman. It wasn't offensive lineman for a while, but ultimately they started doing that. And, um, you know, electrifying wide receiver in the case of Odell Beckham Jr. That was an interesting look into Jerry, right? Cause that, at that point in the draft, Zach Martin was available. Aaron Donald was available. You know, they went with Odell. That was a hard part of the draft to miss in. And I know the Lions actually did, 
Uh, but but um, that was a point where <laughs> maybe sore subject. But uh, that was a point where you know he he kind of he kind of saw Jerry look for the more exciting option, and and um, I mean you know, Odell was a good pick. Obviously, he broke records his first couple of years. But yeah, I, I I would be fascinated to see him get another crack at it and see if he handled the draft differently than he did the first time. I think if anyone's still listening and hasn't thrown their phone or their laptop, whatever I'm, they're I'm listening sorry. to. I'm mean, sorry. I, I hope that what I've said about the Lions is something that even if you hate hearing it, you at least acknowledge the reality, right? Because they're – look, I think it'd be great. Like, you want, you want this to happen. You love what's going on in Buffalo, right? You want, you want the team to rise from sort of mediocrity to, to – you want to see new teams in the mix. So I hope it happens. I hope they find their guys. I was actually referring even just specifically to the Ebron yeah. portal that you referenced. Not now called. he's catching touchdowns on Sunday night in Pittsburgh. And yeah, it's just, I, I feel, I mean, you know, the Lions fans are due for something good. <laughs> One last question about Jerry Reese. We talked about the draft. How is he in free agency? Because that's obviously the other piece that people look at when it comes to kind of making decisions. And I would imagine New York versus Detroit ends up being a little bit of a different situation too when you're trying to lure guys. So look, like in 2016, after they got rid of Coughlin, they went on this defensive free agent signing binge and they paid top dollar for all these guys, but they had a good year. They won 11 games and all those guys made an impact. Talking about like Olivier Vernon and Janoris Jenkins. So like philosophically, he was not averse to going out and plugging holes in free agency. He would acknowledge that that's not where you want to be. Ideally, you would want your draft picks to develop into the, you want to be Seattle, right? You want your draft picks to develop into the guys that replace the guys that leave. But um at that point, they hadn't. And so they, they decided they had the cap room, they had the money, they went and got, and went and got some guys. I, I will, a point in Jerry's favor, I always thought this about it. The years I covered the Giants, they were awful, right? I mean, they'd start 0-4, 0-6, whatever. He never gave up. Like, Jerry was making moves in season to try and win the games, to try and make the team better. You know, like he would trade for their 0-4 or 0-3 or whatever in, in, in 2014. He trades for John Beeson, the linebacker from Carolina. Suddenly their defense gets better. Like, it... it it, he was always working. I didn't agree with everything he did. And again, the draft record is something to really examine. But, you know, I, I think he was, he was a guy that you could count on. He, he wanted to do the best thing for the team and, and was never going to give up on trying it. So it'd be interesting to see if he's a candidate there or anywhere else, because uh, I, I am curious to see how he's perceived around the league. He's very much a Giants guy. Came up in that organization, you know, giant through and through. So how is that perceived around the league in terms of how that would translate to another organization's way of doing things? Cool. Well, Dan, thank you for coming on. Hopefully people learned something and didn't break their phones along the way when we talk about the Lions and their mediocrity. Really appreciate you coming on. It's my pleasure, Mike. I want to thank my guest, the always wonderful Dan Graziano. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Graziano. ESPN. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Feel free to drop us a note or just a five-star review. Download, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back with the mailbag tomorrow, so if you have any last-minute questions there, shoot them over to me in Twitter or in Instagram or use the hashtag RothShow. And with that, we will talk with you tomorrow. And Football, as we have seen, is very much back in full swing. And you might not be at a game this year. Only 
500 or so people can be in Lions games over the last couple of home games, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day. Every day, head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use that promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, back to our show. <laughs> 